Amen. Amen. Thank you, Willem. Um, that was brilliant. Will and team, well done. Absolutely fantastic. And well, it's great to see you. Where, where's Will? As you run off, great to see you stepping into what God's called you to be, my friend. So please keep doing it. You have a gift that the body of Christ is blessed by. So please keep going. But guys, um, it's good to be back. Is this too loud or are we okay? Good. It's really good to be back. My first week back after paternity leave um, uh, in the pulpit. And it's an honor and a privilege. I don't know if it's too soon. You'll find out soon enough. Um, with a lack of sleep and a nice, wonderful baby. Uh, my wife's is like, you don't have a clue. Um, but anyway, isn't Anna looking good? Anna, do you want to stand up? I think you're looking... Yeah, okay, don't wake the baby, otherwise you'll have an angry mother. Um, we decided, you know, we were just going to go all out to have a baby, and we're moving house on Wednesday. So um, call, someone called me a psychopath the other day, and I think that's probably partly right. Um, but I just want to say a big thank you to uh, True Life Church. You guys have blessed us once again with meals, with love, with community, uh, with support in the season. All of those that have done meals for us and dropped them off and uh, you know, it's, it's just a blessing to be part of a church that do life together. Um, and just like in Exodus where, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to go through the whole of Exodus because obviously it's quite a big book and I'm not that good a preacher. So we got to just, we're going to shortcut some things here. But there's one story in the Bible where they went into battle and uh, Moses uh, had to hold up his hands. And as he held up his hands, the battle was won for the Israelites. But when his hands dropped, then they started losing the battle. And eventually they got Aaron and Hur to stand on one side of him to hold up his hands when his arms got tired. And there's something about community and doing life together where we actually hold each other's arms up. Even when we're tired, even when we're exhausted, sometimes we need our Aaron and our her next to us to say, actually, you can do it. And then the battle's won for the community. And I just want to say thank you. You know, that's part of what True Life Church is all about. And I'm excited. You know, we just grew the church by one person. Uh, just there. So anyone else at childbearing age that wants children, please hurry up and grow the church. You know, let's take this seriously because um, God's got a, a blessing for us. But thank you guys. And we'll introduce you to Hope hopefully later if she wakes up. Um, but who's ready? I'm going to go for it. Um, I, do, I do need to put a, a little disclaimer if you're new here. I might be a bit front-footed today. Um, I might be a little bit aggressive. Um, <laughs> people are like, what? I might shoot one or two religious cows in your thinking. And if that happens, I do apologize. Just so you know, if you knew, yeah, there is a, like a toddler's room there. If one of you want to go in there, you're welcome to. I, I don't know, is Kidsmen happening? No, no Kidsmen. So toddlers are there. My daughter, one of my daughters is there. Um, and they are great. there's a great blessing waiting for them there if they're making a lot of noise. So bless you. Um, but I'm, I want to shoot some religious cows today, and I, I hope you're ready for it, because I don't know what your church backgrounds are. Maybe if you're not from a church background, this might be uh, less intense for you, but we, we have a quite a big misunderstanding in the church world about understanding about the law of God, the rules of God that some people say. And we, we live in a religious day, uh, which is very irreligious, really. It's, people will say a statement like, I want relationship, but I don't want rules. Jesus came to die for a relationship, not for rules. It's a common thing. Millennials, we grew up with that in our youth groups. We grew up with that, understanding that. And then you end up with a generation which is longing to know, where is the line? I don't know about you, but you see today's age is you look around the world to you and say, where is the moral line? Where is right? Where is wrong? And how do we determine those things? I don't know if anyone asked that question. Like you're resting in a culture which has grown up. And what's happened is in the church world, what we've grown up is, okay, I want relationship, but I don't want any rules. I want, a, I want Jesus my savior, but I don't want Jesus my king. I want Jesus to just save me and tell me I want wonderful I am, but I don't want a Jesus who tells me when I'm wrong. Who knows what I'm saying? And then you look around you and you say, well, what's going on? The world's looking for truth. And if the church doesn't have the truth, who does? Because 1, 1 Timothy 3.16 says that the church was meant to be the pillar and foundation of what? The truth. Not a truth, not a opinion, but the truth. 
That's what the church was meant to be. And yet what we see in the church world today is we try and water down a gospel so that it fits into our culture so that we don't offend anyone so that when people come, we think, oh, yes, we'll get a building full of people rather than full of Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but that's robbing us. It's robbing us because last time I checked, you know, people are like, don't we just want to tell people Jesus loves them? Absolutely. But let me ask you a question. Anyone ever told someone that and said, well, that's great. Why do I need it? Well, Jesus died on the cross for you. That's great. Why did he need to die for me? I'm a good person. Here's the thing. Today's message is you're not a good person. You're a dead person. So... <laughs> As I told you, I might be a little bit front-footed today, so be ready, okay? <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but it's Exodus chapter 19 here, and the Israelites in their journey, we've seen them come out of slavery, and now they get to a point called Mount Sinai. Can you say Mount Sinai, please? And it, it gets here in Exodus 19, verse 5, and I'm going to jump into chapter 20, will be where I focus on. And it says this, if you fully obey me, okay, say fully. And keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Moses went back and summoned all of the people. And it says this in verse 8. And he, and he told them all the words the Lord had commanded them uh, to speak. And verse 8, it says, the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. Anyone ever thought they're a little bit overconfident? No, notice, I mean, he comes and he says, he has everything the Lord commands you to do. And what is the people's response in verse 8? We will do everything. That's what the people say. And I, I've been over-reliant in many a situation in my life, but sometimes there are humbling moments where you realize I've overcommitted. I'd, uh, I thought I could do it. I, would, I thought, oh, we can do it. Like on Wednesday, we move in house. I'm like, we'll smash it out. This, three, four hours, it will be done. We'll be in there. Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know I will be humbled on Wednesday. I don't seem to learn. I always think, oh, we can do it quicker. I mean, Ben knows that he's done some work recently with me. And I'm like, bro, how long will this take? Like, Surely it's only an hour, two hours, and eight hours later. I don't know if he's slacking or if it's actually more. But that's the thing. We, we look at things and we think, yeah, this won't take that long. And then it takes a lot longer. That's overconfidence. This is what you see here. They think, we can do this. We've got this. We can make it happen. Well, the reality is they couldn't. Because here's what God commanded them. In, verse, in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. Wow. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Can you say idol? idol. In the form of anything. Can you say anything? In heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Look at our culture today. Find me a film that doesn't blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant, maidservant, nor any animals shall do any work. Nor the alien within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, here's one, here's one for our culture. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. 
Amen. That's one I'm going to be putting up in our house. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or lie against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox villain or donkey villain or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and spoke, they trembled with fear. Can you say fear? They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, wait for this verse, I love it. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Notice something, he says, do not be afraid. So he says, don't be afraid. Then he says, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. Almost a contradiction in one sense. Don't be afraid, but also there's a fear, a healthy fear that can keep you from sinning. And he brings it in there. Now, if you're reading that and you're feeling confident, you shouldn't be. <laughs> if you're sitting there and you're like, hey, don't worry, Dylan, I got all of this covered, all of that. Well, I, I'm about to go through it, and hopefully it should strip you of every bit of confidence you have in yourself, because that is the real purpose and reason for this. And like I said, I really don't want to offend you today, but I do want to see you set free. And just like Pilate asked Jesus when he was put before Jesus, he said, what is truth? What is truth? And in our day and our age, we, people are asking that question now more than ever before. What is truth? In a day and an age where it's all about my truth and what your feelings are, that doesn't work. We look, at, look at the culture that we're in. You need a standard that's above the people around us. Why do we need laws? I mean, just look at life. You take laws out of society, you end up in chaos. You end up in absolute chaos, anarchy. You know, I, I, I love it that, um, you know, you watch the news today. Who, who's watching the news recently and you think, what is truth here? What is truth? You look at uh, the war in Ukraine, people are asking, and uh, depending on who you chat to, so many different opinions of what is true, what are we hearing, what is actually happening? Because it's a, a thing called disinformation that's going out around the world, and yet what we do have is truth in the Word of God. The one place that we know that we can rely is right here in the Bible that has stood through the ages and generations, and it stands and it speaks to your conscience today. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a rule breaker. <laughs> now, the, now, there's someone in this room who loves, 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 if you play games, like card games or something, they love to stick to the rules. They have an American accent. And they will not let you get away with breaking the rules. And even though it's just a fun card game with no financial cost or anything, because we wouldn't do that. Is because, but that American-accented person in this room has a, is a stickler for the rules. I'm totally not. If I see the gap in the game, I'm taking that gap as the, as the pastor. I, I don't know. You know it's if I see that there's a way to just nick one or two chips from Willem or whatever game we play, is we, 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 would, we would do that. Why? Because I, it's just not in my DNA. But yet, with, when you play a game with the American man in this church, what ends up happening is everyone sticks to the rules and there's calm and there's order. And actually, if I'm honest, the game is a lot more fun than when I played with my crazy friends where we all just cheating and everything. And no one knows what's going on. Not that we would cheat, but we'd do it honestly. You know when you cheat honestly. Anyone know what I'm talking about? But, but here's the thing, is uh, Drew, for me, is a rule keeper, just like my wife. She likes the rules, and she likes to, she's like the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, wrong way, don't go there. But even those of you that relate to me, and you're like, hey, I'm a rule breaker, I don't like sticking to rules. I guarantee you there's certain instances where you like the rules to be kept to. One of them is food hygiene. You don't want to go to a restaurant, uh, Mitch will be able to help me and Reggie with this one, but is, you know, I, I don't know, but if the chicken's been sitting out of the fridge for the last seven days and you're like, oh, let's just use this here. Even if you're a big rule breaker, you're thinking, I want them to stick to the rules about keeping that thing in the fridge. Who knows what I'm saying? There, there's something in you. If you get on an airplane, you don't want me flying the airplane. 
You don't want the guy that's like, hey, I'm going to take a shortcut. Why? Because there is a standard that makes society work. What you see here is God giving a standard to a society in order to make it function at that time. What happens, though, sadly, is they start putting their trust in this thing to make them right with God rather than understanding. Notice something, because we make a mistake. We say the Israelites were, you know, and how do I say this? The Jewish people decided that they were putting their trust in the law at the beginning. That's actually not true. The, the, right here, this is the introduction of the law of God into their society. But notice in verse 1, it said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So they were brought out of Egypt before the law was given. So they were set free, saved by grace, before there was even law. Very interesting. Then the law comes in to govern the society and say, here's the standard. Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. And, and he lays it down very firmly. I mean, there's no kind of way of getting around it. You shall not make for yourself an idol. And some of us are sitting there and we're sitting and we're thinking, hey, I don't struggle with idolatry. I'm not a person who has an idol sitting in my house. Well, the thing is we create idols all the time. You know what we create idols of? Relationships. How many a Christian do I know that suddenly, oh, um, uh, it didn't work out in a relationship. I'm no longer walking with Jesus. What did you do? You made the relationship God and you worshiped that relationship. And when it didn't work out, you walked away from the true God of worship. Some of you have made um, idols of your businesses, of your careers. And what do you do? You sacrifice your family on the idol of your career. That's idolatry, friends. God was meant to be the main thing. Notice something, a good thing is what God gives us, but idolatry is when you take a good thing, you make it a God thing, and that's a bad thing. And what happens here is you get something like my beautiful wife, you in a relationship, it's, if I make her God in my life and an idol in my life, I've made her a God thing, and that's not a good thing. God calls us to freedom from idolatry. You know, I, I use this illustration all the time. I'll use it again. Uh, this culture in Britain, which I love, is worships football. The most conservative nation in the world, people say. The, you know, conservative British people. You see them at a Chelsea football game. Aston Villa, you get there. It's what happens. People that don't raise their hands in worship because we so, uh, we're, you know, we're conservative and that. You see them at a Aston Villa game or a Liverpool game or whatever. Hands are raised in worship in the temple of their God, all worshiping in the same robes, singing the same songs, raising their voices with no need for a screen to learn the words. Because why? The songs are coming from their hearts. Now, can you go and watch a football game and not be in idolatry? Absolutely. But when you allow your heart to be set on that as your hope, I've watched people crying over losing a football game. <laughs> Yet they come into worship, they never engage in their emotions because, oh, we don't have emotions in church. Who's your true God? Hey, come on. <laughs> We, we've got this thing. Is Exodus 32, the Israelites get the Ten Commandments from God. And what do they do? They take all the gold earrings that they inherited when they came out of Egypt, all the blessings that they took when they came out of slavery, and they give them to Aaron. And they say, where's this guy, Moses? He's taking so long coming down the mountain. What we need you to do is make us an idol. And what does he do? The Bible says he fashioned it with a tool fit for purpose into a golden calf. And they worship that calf. And then what happens? The anger of God comes down because they already, already broke the law of God. And they, he comes down, he smashes all 10 commandments all in one go. First one to break them all in once. And he goes down and they all, like, what's going on? And what happens? 3,000 people die as a result of that. Some of you are like, that's harsh. That's harsh. I'd, I'd argue if you are here today and you're not a believer in Jesus and you uh, don't believe in God, I'd say according to what standard? I'm, oh, I'm gonna, let me get there. Let me, let me be a bit, let, let's slow down, let's slow down. Some of you are Christians here today and what you've allowed is you've put your trust in the law as your salvation. You've put the trust in the law to make you right with God, not understanding that the purpose of the law was not to make you right, but to reveal that you're wrong. The purpose of the law was meant to be a mirror and not a savior. 
The purpose of the law was not meant to say, hey, it's like kind of the same thing. When I wake up in the morning, I look at my face in the mirror and it's shining with the glory of the Lord and all its majesty. And I look in my, my face, I look at it, I think, there's room for improvement. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? But I, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I used to hate it. Anyone that had a pimple on the nose? You know, one of those big shiners. And it, just, it appears right there. It's normally on an important day where you don't need that pimple to be there. But one thing I've never done is taken, looked in the mirror, saw the big pimple, and thought, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the mirror off, and I'm going to clean my face with it. No. And has never walked in and seen me running around with the mirror. Come on, wash your face. <laughs> Not once. Why? Because the mirror was not designed to clean you. It was designed to reveal you. And when you take that which was not meant for that purpose, you end up with a sore nose with a pimple and a broken bit of glass sticking out your nose. Because the law was not designed for that. It was designed to reveal and not heal. Come on. I'm preaching, guys. I'm preaching. I, how, how about idolatry? Shall I just keep going? Is this okay? What about the image of our bodies? You know, I'm watching all this stuff that's coming out on Netflix here for the sake of uh, preaching preparation. And you know what? What I find so fascinating is I'll, I'll go to a temple of body worship pretty much every day. It's called Pure Gym. And I, I get there and... <laughs> That, okay, okay. Let, let's let. <laughs> remember that American guy. You remember that American guy. That um, I'm sure there's a verse about something about this. But uh, is I go pretty much every day. <laughs> and when I'm at the gym, you know what? You know what I see? I see people try looking in the mirror, making sounds of grunts that I've never heard before. And you know what you can see is people trying to worship and become something that they're not. Now, don't get me wrong. What, is health a good thing? Is going to the gym a good thing? Absolutely. But when you make it a God thing, it's a bad thing because it ends up in idolatry. Come on. Oh, I, I didn't hear that. I don't want to know. But some of you, what, what, what happens though is some people in Christianity say this. They say Jesus came to die just to set us free from the ceremonial and sacrificial law. There are three sets of laws. There's 613 laws, by the way. These are just 10 of them. What ends up happening is people say, no, 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 no. We keep the moral law, but we don't, we don't keep the sacrificial or the ceremonial. I'm going to come to that just now because what ends up happening with this is if you start trusting in the moral law as your compass, what you end up with is a moralism that infects the church and ends up in judgmentalism. And you end up with this legalism that comes into your heart where you're trying to keep it yourself rather than allowing Jesus to fulfill it by his grace. How about uh, blaspheming, the name of the Lord? Shocking one. The name of Jesus is just thrown around left, right, and center these days with absolutely no thoughts as to the name of Jesus Christ. Why is it, and might I just put this out there, why is it it's Jesus' name that gets blasphemed, no one else's? Maybe there's one name that has power above every other name, and that's the only one worth blaspheming. Just a thought. Never, ever, ever have I ever heard someone hit their fingers, you know, with a hammer on sight and go, mm, Buddha. Not once. Am I crossing lines? Come on. Why is it Jesus Christ's name gets thrown out and trashed all the time? But every other day, and if Christians get upset about it, oh no, what the Christians just need to stay silent and behave. Well, I'm not going to be silent because my Bible says I'm not ashamed of the gospel anymore. Come on. It says, do not covet your neighbor's house, your ox. As I said, Willem, I mean, your neighbor's cars, maybe your neighbor's iPhone, maybe your neighbor's Mac. Anyone have got a new telephone and then, telephone, a new, <laughs> wow, wow. Guys, I'm from Africa. We, yo, yo, give me a second. Anyone, I, I'm content, guys. I'm content. Has anyone got a, a new phone or a new car or something, and suddenly you see someone else get something, and then you're like, oh, I, I, I want that. Come on, let's get real here. Coveting's a real thing. You know what the word covet means? Lust. 
It's where we get the word lust from. You, you know, desiring something. That contentment can be stolen by a single comment. You know, one of my friends, a really cl- close friend of mine who I love deeply is a, a non-Christian guy. He picked up his Tesla on Friday. Really nice, brand new model, all of this stuff. And, and he picks it up and someone close to him just said, oh, mate, you should have got the Porsche. And, uh, and he's one of those guys that can afford the Porsche and all of that. But I, I said, and I was like, are you, are you happy with the car? He's like, yeah, but no, I'm, uh, I'm like, what? If you're happy with it, just enjoy it. Be grateful. Say, say thanks for that. You, you've allowed a single comment to steal your contentment for a car that most people in this room would be very grateful to have. Hey, but it's so interesting. A single comment stole his contentment. Don't allow that to happen. Don't allow a little Facebook comment to steal your contentment. Oh, you, you know, there's a, a thing in uh, South Africa, I remember, I think when I was there, it was like, um, you should be here. And it was someone standing on holiday in a place like Hawaii or Ibiza or whatever it is. And you could be on your holiday in the Seychelles and you see someone standing with, you should be here, contentment gone. Why? Because coveting is a real thing and it robs you. How many men, can I just speak to the men quickly? Don't, okay, yes, hey? And I'm going to hit you. It says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Come on. Don't, you know, you know how many men commit adultery because they think the grass is green on the other side? Because why they allow a spirit of coveting to infect their hearts? Come on, all the men, I see wives like looking at their husbands. It's true though. You know how many people, because we're in a day and an age where you just change something if you're not happy. You just, uh, it's like you exchange it like cars, you know, it's like rentals uh, rather than owning. It's, it's this thing of, hey, actually, I'm just going to do this for the short term. And then when I'm not content, when I'm coveting, then I'll start moving. Come on. Am I preaching? Okay, cool. Ladies. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no. Same same thing, but I, I I've seen ladies, you know, with um, friends comparing different different things. Comparisons robs you, but you know what comparison is rooted in? Coveting. You want what that other person has. Come on, so we need to. You know, when I read these laws out, do do you actually understand that this is from a place of love, not legalism? It's a place of, actually, I want you free from this. That's why I'm saying it. that. The reason I say to my daughter, don't put your hand on the stove, is not because I hate her, it's because I love her. I want to protect her from it. There's actually freedom on the other side of it. Um, ben Shapiro, a commentator who Mitch will know, it says this, he, he put out a tweet, facts don't care about your feelings. And uh, him and Piers Morgan, uh, let's, not, <laughs> let's not get into debate here, were debating this thing of truth recently, which I, I really loved. I enjoy both of them for a variety of reasons. Um, but what I found interesting about Piers Morgan, a self-confessed liberal, he said, I'm becoming more and more conservative as time goes on and more and more centrist because this world is going crazy. Self-confessed liberal moving across. Why? Because there's this thing about feelings determining truth rather than truth determining your feelings. And it totally robs us there. So what is the, the, the purpose of the law is to show you your sin and your need for a savior. That is the purpose. That is the function of it. The purpose of the law is to put a line in the sand and say, here's right, here's wrong. Whether you feel it or not, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. The amount of times, you know, uh, here it says you shall not commit adultery. The amount of people that, uh, when I've talked to them, uh, if they've committed adultery or something like that, they'll say, oh no, I just don't feel in love with the person anymore. Right, wrong. You've got to understand, your feeling doesn't determine whether it's right or wrong. The truth here determines what's right and wrong. You committed adultery, you need to repent. You shall not murder. Anyone done that? <laughs> Please don't raise your hand because I'll have to, re- I don't know what I'll do. There. I remember in South Africa, there was some evangelism training and it, it said this, it said, you know, you go up to people and you ask them, do you see yourself as a good person? And then you go through the law and you show them why they're not a good person, basically. And uh, we have to this one guy, I said, do you see yourself as a good person? And he's like, nope. So then I didn't know what to do. So I just said, I went through the law. I went through, so have you ever um, 
commit adultery. It's like, yep, uh, have you ever stolen? Yep, have you ever committed murder? Yes, I've murdered three people. At that point, I told him about Jesus and that Jesus really loved him and that I really cared about him and I moved on very quickly. But he has the thing, is Jesus comes onto the scene and people are like, what about Jesus? What does he think about all of this? In Matthew chapter five, he comes in and he says, even if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. What does he do? He says, it's not just an external law. I'm bringing it internal. I'm saying, I actually care about what's going on in your heart and your mind, not just what you're doing physically. I care about what you're doing spiritually in your heart. If you're captive to lust on the inside, it's at some point going to come on the outside. And then Jesus said, oh, well, you shall not commit murder. He said, even, okay, let's raise the standard here. If you've even hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Wow. Anyone done that? So, and some of you, have you're like, well, Dylan, uh, I've never lied before. <laughs> Every one of us. There's, a, there's something within our hearts that we are prone to sin. It, the purpose of this is not me standing here saying, hey, look how bad you are. This is saying, look how bad we are. I'm in this with you together. Come on. Uh, who, who's heard of um, Adolf Eichmann? Great, great. Some historians here. Adolf Eichmann was a, a Nazi, uh, one of the leaders in the Nazi regime, and he escaped trial when, he, you know, when the, the Nazi empire fell down, and the Israelis hunted him down and caught him in 1961. He stood trial um, in Israel, in Jerusalem, for the crimes he committed against Jewish people. And his defense, and the defense of a lot of the leaders in the Nazi regime was this. Their defense was saying, hey, I was, I'm not responsible for this because... I was just obeying orders. That was their defense. They're like, we soldiers, we meant to obey orders. People were in uproar. They said, how can it be that you can just say I was following orders and doing such atrocities, putting people into gas chambers and saying we were just following orders. And people were in an uproar. So in 1961, he stood trial, and Milgram came in, and they, she conducted an experiment. Uh, sorry, I, um, I think it's a he, actually. Uh, conducted an experiment to see the obedience to authority that people were willing to go. And so what they did is they got 160 people by random, by different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different backgrounds, and put 160 people into a room. And here was the experiment. We're going to break you up into four groups. We're going to put you 40, 40, 40, 40. And we're going to try something. For one group of you, for example, you're going to be able to stand in the room with the person. Uh, another person, you're going to be able to hear them but not see them. Another person, you're going to be able to see them but not hear them. And another person, you're not going to be able to see both. And what they, they tested is they made it look like they were being drawn by random, whether they were the teacher or the student. So they walked in, drew out of the hat, both of them said, teacher. So they draw out the thing, they're like, okay, you're the teacher, you're going to go stand in a room, and what they laid out before them was an electrical board. And the test was, what they were saying the experiment was about was saying, we're testing to see in education whether when someone gets an answer wrong, whether an electric current of punishment would make them learn quicker. So that was the cover of the story. And what they had at the bottom end of it was low charge, low harm, and they had a bunch of different switches there. And then they went to medium charge, medium harm, there. And they got all the way up to lethal will kill you. And the test was to see how many people would get all the way through that board to the lethal will kill you. Now, there's obviously an actor in the seat as one of the scientists was acting like the student. Went through this experiment and was so interesting about it is the ones that were right there that could see it, they had four responses. Every single one of the people said, no, no, no. And when they heard the person screaming by the electric current, they said, oh, no, is this right? Should we be doing this? And the scientists had four different responses. They said, you need to keep going, was the first one. Most people were like, okay, okay, we've got, then as it got higher and higher, they got more nervous. They said, for the sake of the experiment, we need you to keep going. Then they went higher and higher and said, you need to keep going for the sake of the test or whatever it was. And they got all the way through. Do you know how many people went all the way to lethal? 67% of those people. 67% of the people followed through from all the test groups, all the way through to being willing to kill someone for the sake of an experiment. Why? And, and you know, it's an interesting part. As soon as they were finished, the first worry they had was not the concern of the person that 
is potentially dead. Their concern was their culpability in the crime. But they followed the orders through because they took the authority of the scientist as their final authority. And what's interesting is the 33% that didn't, every single one of them had a belief in a higher accountability to a higher authority with a religious affiliation. Crazy. But you know, it, and, and that experiment was thrown, people were like, that's so unethical, how can you do that? Because 160 people walked in thinking they were good people, and yet what happened, 67% of them walked out thinking I'm a psychopath willing to kill people. The reality, friends, is people were judging these uh, guys saying you're just following orders and all of that. But an authority of scientists could override people's inner judgment to get to the point of pushing lethal. How much more in our day and our age do we need a higher authority above us that actually says this is what's right and wrong. Beyond what a government says, beyond what anyone around me says, beyond what culture says, beyond what Instagram says and the social media crazy agenda out there. Beyond that, we need an authority above us. Come on. There's an accountability that only works when there's an authority in place. Millennials are terribly bad at this. We are shocking guys. We don't like anyone saying you're right or you're wrong. We don't. We're a generation that's anti-authority. In the 70s, you had the sexual revolution. People didn't want to be told this is right, this is wrong. But in our day or age, we need to know there's a standard. Romans 3 verse 19, it says, Whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world hold accountable to God. We are held accountable to God through the law. The law sets a standard that when we are judged, there will be a standard of this is what the law is. This is what it says. Have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever looked at someone lustfully? Have you ever going through it? That is the purpose of it. There's a, it's across the board. It doesn't matter what your background, what your age, what your uh, you know, sex, what your... Uh, economic situation, whatever it is, there's one standard that we'll all be held accountable to. And the Bible says every mouth will be whole, will be silenced because the inner conscience is right there. The law sets a standard that is consistent. I mean, as a parent, good parenting, one of the foundations of it is having a consistent standard. One of the foundations of it is that your child knows this is right or this is wrong today, tomorrow, the next day. Not confusing them and saying, hey, this is right today, this is wrong tomorrow, this is right today, wrong tomorrow. That's confusing. The mark of good parenting is setting a standard that's right and wrong and is defined. Bill Johnson said this, the purpose of the law is to reveal God's holiness. The purpose of the law is to show us what does a holy God look like, what does a holy people look like. Romans 7 verse 7, it says this, that is the law therefore sin? Is, uh, Dylan, you're making it sound like this. Uh, the law is not sin. It says, is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the Lord not said, do not covet. So the purpose is, uh, is it defined? No, no. The law defines what sin is. It doesn't clean you from what sin is. You might be an unbeliever here and think, why do I need Jesus? The reason you need Jesus, my friend, is what I've told you today. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what the Bible says. The reason I need Jesus is because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. The reason, and you say, but Dylan, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You're a dead person in need of a person who can give you life, the life giver, Jesus Christ. The Bible says he sins as a slave to sin. It's time to be set free. You know, I find it so funny is that we have this relational God thing, but no standard. We, yes, God's a relational God. He wants a relationship, but he doesn't drop his standard. You know, in a generation that loves counseling and therapy, and we all have our therapist and counselor, which is cool. And one of the first things counselors will tell you is you have standards, you have self-worth. Why is it that we think we can have self-worth, but God doesn't? Why is it that we think that the God in heaven suddenly should drop all the moral standards for people just so that he lets everyone in because there's no standard anymore in the name of relationship? 
No, 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 no. He wanted relationships so much that he actually sent his one and only son to die for you and to die for me. That's how much he values you. That's how much he loves you. And when you understand the law, grace will mean so much more to you. But when you just have grace, 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 and no understanding of law, you'll never understand the full depths of his grace and love for you. Amen. Come on. You guys still with me? Am I going too hectic? Okay. <laughs> One or two people. Mm. Okay, have you got eight minutes in you? Eight minutes. Because I want to worship Jesus. Um, I, I'll tell you a little bit more, my story. I, I, I became a Christian at the age of 15. And I remember uh, getting so awakened by the Holy Spirit in my conscience that my goodness, right and wrong was so clear to me. I remember, you know, some people get this mixed up. You say, you, and I, you can believe differently on this one with me, but I, I, I do believe in this. It's some people like, the Holy Spirit convicts me of sins all the time. I actually don't believe that. I believe there's one verse that talks about the conviction of the Spirit. In John 16, verse 8, he says, When he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. So when you come to Christ, there's a conviction by the Spirit to faith. That's what he brings. But then in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, and then in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. You know when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he ignites faith in you when you get born again. But once you're born again, he convicts you of righteousness in Christ. You know why? You don't need the Holy Spirit because your conscience gets awakened and washed by the blood of Jesus that you know right and wrong in a whole new level. I can guarantee if I ask people that have been born again today to come up here, they'll tell you when they gave their lives to Christ, it was an immediate, it was like a mere thing, things that didn't used to bug you before. It's like, oh, I can't do that. No one telling you or anything like that. It was just an inner knowing in your conscience. It just came alive and awakened. But the Bible talks about searing your consciences if you carry on in the thing. And some of us, you've quietened that inner voice. You're like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I keep going here. And it's time to get drawn in and convicted of the righteousness of Christ in Jesus. And don't, allowing yourself to be defined by who Jesus is rather than by who you are. But my story is, I remember going into some intense teaching and I got into a spirit of legalism. I got into so much legal, I was, trying, I was literally putting the Ten Commandments on the door saying, I shall not do this, I shall not do that. You know what I was doing? <laughs> I, sh I did do all of that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't getting me free. And what ended up happening is I, I got this revelation of grace and the fulfillment of Christ in the gospel, and it set me free instantly from what the law couldn't set me free from. Because you know what the Bible says? Romans, 6 verse, uh, Romans 7 verse 6, By now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Notice something. What are you released from? The law. Because of the gospel. Galatians 3 verse 1, it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? After, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you trying to get right with God by what you've done, by what you do, by keeping the law? Or are you actually set free from the law so that you can fulfill the law as a free gift from Jesus? Do you see the difference? Because some people are like, well, I've given my life to Jesus, therefore I can just go and, not, and do all these things and get on with it. No, 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 no. The purpose of it is you're free from it, but also... You live to a higher standard. It's not that you just don't commit adultery. It's, ah, Dylan, I don't even want to lust anymore. Why? Because you've been raised in the spirit to a new man and a new life. Amen. Come on. Oh, Jesus. Some of us are relying on the Lord today. And I want to tell you something. If you are, you are under spirit of witchcraft. Shall I say what I'm thinking? <laughs> Some of you have never even heard that language used in your life. You think, Dylan, witchcraft is what people do in, you know, South Africa. I'll tell you something, a lot of witchcraft goes on in England too. You know why? Because witchcraft is when you start putting yourself back under the law. You know, you know what? Galatians 3.1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What were they teaching? You're coming back under the law. 
witchcraft. Why? Because witchcraft is when a lower authority sets itself up above a higher authority. Christ came to set you free from that lower authority, so he lifted you into a new authority. I was under a spirit of witchcraft. It robbed me of all my joy, everything in there. And Galatians 3.10 says this, All who rely on the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you, keep, if you break just one, you've broken all. Because some of you get arrogant, like, oh, I've kept a few, I've kept a few. No, 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 no. The law is a composite unity. If you break one, you've broken all. Uh, James 2.10 says this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's, it's, it's an entire composite unity. Which means for all of us, we hold guilty before God. There are different consequences for sin, but sin by its nature is the same. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And this is why Jesus had to come on the scene. Because in Galatians 3 verse 12 it says, The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us, paid the price for us from the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. But what does it say? Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. When Jesus was hung on a tree, he was cursed for you, paying the price for you, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Christ redeemed you, paid the price for you, took all of the Lord's wrath on you, paid the price for every consequence, so that when you're in Christ, you're totally set free. No longer under that authority, you're raised to a higher authority. A new man in Christ is not just a moralism of getting a bit better or making myself a better person. You were dead, now you are alive. You were lost, now you are found. You, come on guys, you were an unbeliever, now you're a believer. Why? Through what? Through your works or through faith? Every religion in the world that I can think of is built on a system of Observing the law of making yourself right in one way or another. People are like, no, 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 no. Hinduism, karma. Islam, scales. You have to do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. A atheism, giving and charity and belonging to some social agenda. Making yourself right. Christianity, Jesus Christ. Is about coming to you and saying, I'll make you right beyond anything you've ever done. That is the gospel. He says, I do not set aside the righteousness of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Without Christ dying, there is no hope for us. If you truly understand the law, you would never, ever even try. You'd never even try. But the people, the Pharisees, Sadducees, couldn't seize, wouldn't seize. At the time of Jesus, they were sitting there and they were saying, we can do this. We will do everything written in the book of the law. We will keep it all. And what happens? Jesus comes on. He puts the law on steroids. He just pumps it into there. He says, if you've even thought it, it's like you've done it. Jesus just comes and lifts up the standard. He says, actually, and you know, as a self-confessed millennial liberal at the time, Jesus came into my life, and you know what I'd been longing for my whole life is to know the standard was set, and it just convicted me. And people are like, Dylan, when you come to God, you shouldn't be afraid. I was afraid. I remember having this thing of, actually, hell is a real place, and it makes sense when you understand the law and consequence. It makes total sense when you understand what I'm talking about today. And you know what's so funny? Can worship team, can you guys come up? Because I don't want to keep going for too long here. You've, got, you've given me eight minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, walk really slowly. <laughs> but you, you know what's you know, so funny about this is in our day is people have an issue with God having a hell, but they don't have an issue with saying certain people should go to prison or be murdered or die. The... I don't know if that point landed. It didn't. Um, people are happy to condemn people on social media to all kinds of horrific things and are happy to stand in the place of judge, and yet they can never allow the God of the universe to judge anyone. Come on. People see a, a, a story on the TV and say, that person should be murdered for what they've done. If someone did that to my family, then they should. That's what we do. But you know the reality is God himself 
actually sent his son in your place to die for you. That's called grace. And the goodness of God leads you towards repentance. The kindness of God leads you towards repentance. And as I preach today, I pray that you've heard my heart, but also you've seen the power of Jesus that in Exodus here, in Exodus 32, they make an idol, 3,000 people die because the law was given and the law revealed that sin. In Acts 2, the spirit comes and what happens? 3,000 people get saved. On the same day, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the feast of the first fruits, which in Jewish calendars, what we call the day of Pentecost is the first fruits in Jewish uh, thinking, that it's 50 days from then that they got given the law at Mount Sinai. In the same way, Jesus died on the cross. 50 days later, at the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes and the new covenant is instituted and 3,000 people live. See, because when the Spirit comes, He brings life, not death. That's the goodness of God. So I, I want to I pray for you and I'd like us to worship. It's good to be back with you. I might have to carry on a little bit of this next week or see what, what God's saying. But it's very important to get this understanding right, and it's very hard to get it through in one message. But I pray that you've heard the heart. So I wonder if we can stand, please. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you'd convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I pray, Father God, you'd come, and those that are sitting there and thinking, Dylan, I need to put my faith in you, in Jesus. I pray, Father God, that you just convict and call them to faith in you, Lord. I pray, Father God, for an awakening in hearts now. I pray for Christians here that have allowed themselves to step into a spirit of legalism. I pray for freedom now, that they would see that they are set free from the law and they are in Christ Jesus, we pray for an awakening in hearts. But Lord, I pray that your moral standard would be exemplified through your church. That we'd set a bar even higher than that. Because of the Spirit, the new way of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, just come and have your way in our lives. Those that are still understanding the gospel, I pray it would just make sense now, supernaturally, by your Spirit. You come and just reveal your truth. Lord, those that have been trying to wash their faces with a mirror, I pray, Father God, they put the mirror down and they'd pick up the cross of Christ. Jesus, come and do what only you can do right now. If there's anyone here, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus and his sacrifice and what he's done for you, you've been trusting in your own works, not in his blood. Can you raise your hand, please? If there's anyone here, I just want to, anyone else? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Anyone that you'd like to say, Dylan, I need to put my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll give it one more minute. Jesus. And anyone else here that you just think, Dylan, I've allowed a spirit of just, I've misunderstood this thing. I've been trying to make myself right as a Christian. I've really been struggling with this thing. It's like all my joy is gone. Everything's gone because I'm trying to do this in my own strength and energy. Can you raise your hand if you'd like some prayer? If that's who you're saying, Della, I just need to be freed from performing for God. Anyone here? Raise your hand, please. Come on, response is important. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, if you're all set free, that's fantastic. Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, I ask now, Lord, as we worship you, we'd worship with fresh revelation. We'd worship with the revelation that you give us, to, that we'd know the Father's love for us in a whole new depth, because we know the depravity that you've saved us from, that you went to the very depths of hell in order to save us and lift us to the hearts of heaven. Jesus, I just pray for your love to saturate us, to fill us right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.